to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. If you aren't following us on social media, make sure to head to Facebook and Instagram and search for My Collective Church to learn more about what is going on at Collective as we start this new year. Thank you again for listening. Now let's get into Sunday's message. So can I share some good news with you all? I figured that would be the best way to kick off 22 at Collective with some good news that we can celebrate together. Uh, The first thing is that last year as a church, we got to celebrate 21 baptisms. Um, and, And what that means is that 21 people went public with their faith and chose the new life that Jesus offers. And there's a few reasons why we celebrate this. The first is because Jesus says in Luke 15, uh, verse 7, he says this, There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Right? We celebrate big in this church when people get baptized because heaven celebrates big. And so as a church, we got to celebrate that type of joy 21 times last year. Another reason I want to celebrate this is because this is actually the second highest total that we have ever had in a year at our church, uh, which is pretty amazing considering the fact that we didn't actually start meeting in person in this building until March. But the final reason is because those 21 baptisms represent 10% of the average adult attendance at Collective last year. And I want to explain a little bit more why this matters. Ed Stetzer is a church stats guru, which is a thing. It's probably one of the most boring jobs on the planet, but I like stats, so I like him. Uh, And after studying tens of thousands of churches, he found that new churches typically baptize 10% of their adults in their first full year, but never hit that number again, ever. He also found that established churches, the average established church just baptizes 3% on a yearly basis, so three out of 100 people. And what this actually means is that most established churches aren't reaching lost people, and they aren't actually seeing people take next steps in their faith. And so a few years ago, finding this out, I told the staff that we would set a goal every single year to try and baptize 10% of our adults, because that means collective is growing, and it means collective is healthy, probably the healthiest it could be. And last year, we hit that goal, and that is a big deal. Here's a second piece of good news I want to celebrate with you all. Last year, you all donated 21,981 pounds of food to the Frederick Rescue Mission, Blessings in a Backpack, and a ton of other Frederick organizations. And this was more than the last two years combined. And so, yeah, that's good. (laughs) Oh, you might not clap at the end of the sermon. Um, But but here's why I share all this. Partly because I I love bragging about this church. Um, I have no shame when it comes to talking about the good things that you all are doing and the things that we're seeing God do in this church. But the real reason, and this is really important, last year was hard, right? Last year was really hard. And the truth is, this year will probably be hard as well. A year without Betty White is a hard year. But that doesn't mean great things can't happen. Right? Hard years don't mean that growth can't occur. It doesn't mean that impacts have to be small. 
in this church, or in your life. And so today we're kicking off a new series called Chasing Failure. And I just want to let you know up front that this series is all about being challenged to grow and take next steps in the important areas of your lives. If you've been around Collective long enough, you know we typically kick off January sermon series by setting the tone for the year to come. And the truth is, many of you have already set or are thinking about resolutions. You're setting goals. You're making plans. You're trying to make this year better than the last year. And so we want to help you with that. So for the next three weeks, we're going to dig into a few topics that I believe will bring growth and even renewal to your new year. But here's the catch. You might fail. You might fall short of your goals. You might try your best, and the outcome might not be what you expected, and that's okay, because we can't let the fear of failure stop us from trying. And this series is inspired by a book that I read last year with the same name, written by a guy named Ryan Leake. Ryan is a pastor and a public speaker, and he woke up a few years ago and began wondering about the direction of his life. At the time, things weren't going poorly He just felt stuck. He felt complacent. He felt stagnant in his career, in his marriage, in his faith, and his purpose. And so after wrestling with that feeling for a few weeks, he asked himself a question that would change the trajectory of his life when he asked, what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? And the first thing that popped into his head was that he would try to play in the NBA, Ryan was a D3 athlete in college. He was an all-American basketball player. And so his dream was to be in the NBA, but he had always been too afraid to pursue it because he was confident that he would fail. And so at 28 years old, as Ryan puts it, he decided to chase failure, and he emailed every NBA team asking for a tryout. And after multiple teams responded back and said no, the Phoenix Suns actually agreed to give him a shot. And so he flew to Arizona, and he gave it all he had. But during his trout, he realized that while he was good at basketball, there were others who were just plain outstanding. And so guess what? He failed to make the team. He got cut. And some of you were expecting him to make the team. He didn't. That's not how this story played out. In fact, Leek shares in his book that he barely made it through the tryout because it was just so hard. But he didn't have any regrets. Sure, he, he was sad that his dream didn't come true, but the end result was that he learned from his failure. He took risks and failed, but along the way, he realized that he was more courageous than he thought he was. He learned that he was more capable than he thought he was. He learned that he was passionate about inspiring other people to chase their dreams. And Ryan's failure to become an NBA player led to growth in the rest of his life. And so that's the goal of this series. Not that you fail to become an NBA player. None of you would make it. I wouldn't make it. Is there anybody who's like 6'6 here? Maybe. Uh, But not that we try to be an NBA player, but that you set goals and you set next steps that seem scary. And you don't let the fear of failure get in the way of the growth that you actually want to see this year. Let's talk about the fear of failure for a minute from a psychological perspective. Psychologists have found that not everyone struggles with fear in the same way or with the same intensity, but that everyone hates to fail. And for many people, failing presents such a significant psychological threat that their their motivation to avoid failure tends to exceed their motivation to succeed. Does that sound familiar to anyone out there? Failure can elicit feelings such as disappointment and anger and sadness and regret and confusion. And those feelings can stop us from trying new things, from taking risks, from growth. 
And for many of you, failing makes you worry about what other people will think about you if you fail. Right? It makes you worry about how smart or how capable you are. And the fear of failure shows up in different ways. It shows up as reluctance to try new things or get involved in challenging projects, as self-sabotage, which comes from procrastination or excessive anxiety or a failure to actually follow through with your goals. It shows up as low self-esteem or self-confidence, where you commonly use negative statements such as, I'll never be good enough, or I'm not smart enough. And it shows up as perfectionism, and a willingness to try and take on things that you know you'll finish perfectly and successfully, but not anything else, right? And failure is a part of life. Like, we know this, right? You've probably heard this before, but Thomas Edison tried 1,000 different versions of the light bulb before inventing the one that would actually work. He failed at a million other things. And when he was asked about this, he said, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. Or maybe you heard that Dr. Seuss had his first book rejected 27 times, Steven Spielberg was rejected twice by the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts. J.K. Rowling was rejected 12 times for Harry Potter. Right? They failed time and time and time again, but they didn't give up. So let's go back to the question that Ryan asked himself in this book. What would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? Actually, let's do this. I want you to take out your phone or take out your notebook if you have it with you, and I want you to write this down. I want you to write this question down. What would I do if I knew I could not fail? Right? What next step would I take? How would I want 2022 to be different? If I wasn't worried about what other people would think if I didn't accomplish my goal, what would I try this year? Right? And I'm not talking about superficial things like I want to go skydiving or, or take that trip. This isn't a bucket list. I'm talking about in the big important things in your life, things like your faith, your marriage, your recovery, your relationships, your mental, emotional, and spiritual health. What would you do? You know, the Bible is full of stories about failure. One of the most famous ones is about a guy named Peter, who was Jesus' closest friend. And so Jesus has just finished feeding over 5,000 people with two loaves of bread and five fish that they actually collected from the crowd. And what he does is he actually tells his disciples, his 12 closest followers, to get into a boat and head to the other side of the lake so they can continue to do their ministry. While they do this, Jesus actually heads up to the top of a mountain to spend some one-on-one -on -one time with God. He spends so much time up there that night falls and strong winds begin to pick up, creating heavy seas, and the disciples who are on the boat are in trouble. Seeing this, Jesus walks on water to catch up to the disciples in their boat, and in a brief moment of panic, because they actually thought Jesus was a ghost, Peter calls out to him. And we pick up the story in Matthew 14, starting in verse 28, and this is what it says. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Right? So Peter sees this figure. He thinks it might be Jesus, and so he essentially just says, hey, Jesus, if this is really you, like, prove it. Like, show me. I'm going to step out on this water, and I want you to make me walk on water. And, and no one really knows why Peter chose that thing. Uh, maybe he saw it and thought it was cool. But most scholars actually speculate that Peter wanted to experience this miracle firsthand, that he wanted to see what God could do with him. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Right, and so here's Peter. He's just this normal guy. He steps out of a boat in the middle of a storm and walks on water. Right? He doesn't stay in the boat because of fear of failure. He doesn't worry what will happen if he puts one foot down 
and immediately sinks, he takes a risk and bravely steps out on the Sea of Galilee. So here's the first thing from this story that I want us to hold on to. You will never know what could happen if you are too afraid to step out of the boat. You will never know what could happen if you are too afraid to step out of the boat. Peter didn't know he could walk on water until he put his first foot down. And the same is true for you. You will never know how strong your faith could be if you are too afraid to take next steps and fail. You will never know how good your marriage could be if you are too afraid to work on it because it might not end up perfect. You will never know how healthy your friendships could be if you're too afraid to be real and vulnerable with the people you spend time with. You will never know how much you can heal if you are too afraid to confront your past and your pain. If the fear of failure is stopping you from stepping out of the boat, you will never know how much stronger your faith could be, your life could be, your marriage could be. And yes, you could fail, right? You you could fail, but what if you don't? What if you don't? A little over 10 years ago, Ray and I were living in Tennessee, and she had just finished getting her master's in education, and we were looking to get the heck out of the South. I was done with the South. Uh, we wanted to move up to the D.C. area. So I started looking for ministry jobs in Maryland, and while I was looking, I came across two opportunities. There was a creative arts position in Glen Burnie and an associate pastor position in Annapolis. And the creative arts position I was qualified for, that's actually when I graduated and went into ministry, that's what I did. Um, I also had a friend who worked at the church, so it was a pretty safe bet, even though I didn't actually want to do creative arts in a church anymore. The associate pastor job I was underqualified for, and I didn't have an in, but it was the job that I wanted. It was also at a church plant, which was really important because Ray and I at the time were feeling like God was kind of churning something in us to plant a church one day, and we realized that we could learn firsthand from them. But when I went to apply, I only applied for the job in Glen Burnie because I was too afraid to fail to get the job in Annapolis. I was too afraid to step out of the boat. Flat out, I was afraid of rejection, so I applied to the safe job that I didn't even want. In fact, I didn't even like the church. I had visited it in passing, and I thought, if I lived here, I would not attend this church, and I wouldn't invite my friends to this church. But it was the safer bet. You can probably guess how it all played out. I got offered the job in Glen Burnie, and I've shared this before. I could tell God was telling me, don't take that job, so I took it. Uh, and I hated it. Uh, the best part about this job was that the original Mission Barbecue was across the street, so I could just like eat my feelings all the time. <laughs> Providence. <laughs> but then seven months into the job, they asked me if I was happy, and I said no, and they let me go. And they said, hey, we don't appreciate your attitude, and we don't think you're a good fit. And so the irony was that I failed anyways. Right? My own fear of failure set me up for failure. But this failure was more painful. And God has very much redeemed the seven months I spent in Glen Burnie, which is a weird statement to say it out loud. And I've learned a lot about myself and ministry because of that season. But I've always wondered what would have happened if I didn't let my fear of failure control my decisions on where to apply. And how much less pain would I have felt in ministry? Because when I left the church in Glen Burnie, I told God that I was done. I was done doing church work because it's exhausting and frustrating. But a few months later, after getting let go, the job in Annapolis opened up again. 
And for some reason, God gave me a second chance. And instead of letting the fear of failure get in the way, I applied and got the job. And that job led to my church planting residency. It introduced me to my spiritual mentor. It brought friends into my life that financially helped get this church off the ground. And I'm a better pastor and collective is a better church because of my experience there. But originally, without God redeeming that situation, I let my fear of failure stop me from doing what I needed to do. And so you will never know what could happen if you are too afraid to step out of the boat. So in what ways do you need to step out today, this month, or this year? Right? What is the fear of failure stopping you from doing? All right, let's get back to the story because Peter stepping out of the boat isn't how it ends. In fact, Peter then fails. Check this out in verse 30. It says, but when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And so just a few steps out of the boat, after walking on water, Peter becomes scared. And it seems pretty clear that he's probably scared of the wind. Maybe he was scared of the storm, um, scared that he might drown, scared that he might die. But I often wonder if Peter was actually scared that it was happening, that he was actually walking on water and seeing what his faith was capable of, or he was scared of what would actually happen if he walked all the way to Jesus and what that would mean for his life and his relationship with God, ultimately scared that things were going to work out. Either way, because of this fear, he began to sink. But watch what Jesus does. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And this word doubt is really rich. Now, the word doubt actually comes from the Greek word distazo, which suggests the idea of trying to go in two different directions at once or serving two different masters simultaneously. And so what are the two masters that Peter is trying to serve? He's trying to serve fear and he's trying to serve faith. Right? He's trying to serve fear of failure, death, destruction, and he's trying to serve faith and trust in God. And you can't serve both. Right? You can't do both. But Peter tries to, and the result is that he begins to sink. So Jesus reaches down and grabs him, which leads us to the next part of the story that we need to hold on to. God promises to be with you even through your failures. Right? This is God's character. This is the character of God. God isn't a bandwagon fan that only roots you on when you are winning. One of my good friends growing up uh, is the biggest bandwagon fan I've ever met in my life. Uh, I've known him since elementary school, and in elementary school, he was a Duke basketball fan. He was a Jaguars football fan. They were actually good for this small, brief period of time. Uh, he was a Yankees fan, and he was a Penguins fan in hockey, and he would rock their gear all the time, mismatched, whatever. When we got into high school, he jumped ship. He became a Cavaliers fan for basketball, Yankees fan, Falcons fan because of Michael Vick, and then a Capitals fan. Right? And if you know anything about hockey, you can't be a Penguins fan and a Capitals fan at the same time. That is a sin. Uh, I would venture to say cheering for any Pittsburgh team is probably sinful. There's a verse in there somewhere. I don't know. I'll find it. I'll find it later. There you go. But, but today, this dude is a Lakers fan, a Nationals fan, a Ravens fan, and a Capitals fan. Right? He's a bandwagon fan. And what he does is he jumps from team to team depending on who's winning. But God is not that way with us. God is with us even when we fail, even when we fall short. Joshua 1.9 says, This is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Psalm 37, 23 and 24, it says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they may stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by hand. Right? Even when you fail, God is with you. He will not abandon you. He will not give up on you. He loves you. Right? And the truth is, he will grab you when you start sinking, even when it's your own fault, because that is who God is. God promises to be with you even in your failures. So what would you do this year if you knew you couldn't fail? Right? What goals would you set? What next steps would you take? How would you want to grow? And, and here's what I actually want to do right now. Um, if you've been taking notes, or even if you haven't, I'm going to encourage you to get I want you to write down, actually write down, two to three things that you want to achieve this year that the fear of failure has been stopping you from trying. And the reason why I encourage you to write this down is because you are 42% more likely to achieve your goals if you actually write them down today. Right? If you take them out of your head, if you take them off of Facebook, and you actually put them down on notes or on paper or something like that. Because writing down your goals not only forces you to be clear on what your goals are, it takes part in helping you and motivating you to take next steps, right? to actually step out of the boat. And so right now, I want you to write down two to two, three things. And don't pretend like you don't know what they are. You guys have already set resolutions, either publicly or in your head, where you thought about setting resolutions and you didn't because you thought you would fail. But the thing is, you know there are two to three things in your life that you want to grow this year, and you need to write them down. You need to set those goals. And some of you might need to set the goal of having a healthier marriage this year. What that means is that you actually need to make your marriage a priority over your work and your social life and your kids. You need to schedule regular date nights. You need to set aside time every week so you can have uninterrupted conversations about your marriage. That might also mean marriage counseling. That might mean digging into the, those past wounds that you've been ignoring for years with the help of people you trust. And what that might actually mean is investing in your marriage instead of simply letting it exist. Some of you might need to rethink uh, your career Right? Maybe it's time for a change. Instead of taking this job that takes away from your family and your church and the things that truly matter, or maybe it's not about changing jobs, but about changing how you see your purpose so that your purpose isn't tied to how much money you make or the title that you have, but it's tied to how much you love God and love people, how you raise your kids. It's tied to kingdom impact. It's tied to things that actually matter. Some of you might need to set the goal to grow in your faith this year. It's not just show up for church every once in a while when you're free or when things aren't going well and you need God to rescue you, but making your faith a priority. It's reading your Bible every day. It's praying every day. It's not just being a bandwagon fan for Jesus, but someone who's committed to their faith. For some of you, that means actually making your faith a priority, making it real. It's allowing Jesus to lead your life. It's getting baptized. 
Maybe you need to set the goal this year to stop acting like you're married to the girl you're dating and finally put a ring on it and do things the way God intended. Maybe you need to set a goal this year to focus on your mental health, to see a counselor so you can start working through some of that past pain you carry with you that dictates how you live your life. It dictates some of your fear. Maybe you should focus on your physical health, to eat better, to go to the gym, to actually make sleep a priority. Maybe you need to quit something, to quit drinking because you're seeing the negative impact it has on your life. Quit looking at porn because you're watching it ruin your marriage and you know it'll ruin your future marriage. To quit hanging out with friends who only drag you down and move you further away from Jesus. I'll even share a few goals that we have for Collective this year uh, that terrify me and the staff. Uh, So this year, we set the goal. uh, You clapped earlier, and we'll see if you clap again. Uh, So we set the goal to collect 20,000 pounds of food at the grocery store buyout in August, at one event. Um, Essentially, our goal this year is to collect the same amount of food we had for the whole 2021 at one event in August. And I have no idea how we're going to do this. In fact, it's not my job. It's Danielle's job. She's not super pumped right now. But here's the thing that we know. We know that food insecurity impacts 40,000 people in our county, and we have to do more. Right? It's our job. It's our job as the church to do more. Another goal we have this year is to celebrate 30 baptisms. And this one's even scarier because it really doesn't have anything to do with me or the staff. It's all about you and you taking next steps. Sure, I can remind you every single week, which we do, if you want to get baptized or talk about it, you check the baptism box on your connection card. But I can't check that box for you. Instead of trying to reach the same goal as last year, we decided to make it bigger. One more goal that we have this year is that we need more space in collective kids. Uh, There are about one million kids back there every single week. And when we laid out this building and we created this plan, we we intentionally designed it so that there's more space for collective kids to expand because there's more kids. Uh, The truth is, we've actually been talking to the landlord about what expansion looks like. And we have no idea how any of this would work. We have no idea what the cost would be, but it's something we have to figure out. And yes, I know that we might fail, that I might fail. And yes, this scares me because I just said these things out loud. And if we fail to meet them, you might think that I'm a bad leader, that I'm a bad pastor. Or you might hear these goals and they might scare you and you might pull back. Or something that's completely out of our control could stop us from accomplishing them. But I would rather try and fail then let the fear of failure stop us from trying at all. You know, there's two more verses at the end of this story that I didn't read earlier that are typically overlooked if you've, if you've read this story before. But after Jesus pulls Peter out of the water and back into the boat, this happens. It says, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Right, do you see what happened? Their faith grew. Their faith grew. Peter failed, but his faith and his belief in Jesus became stronger through his failure. You see, even if we fail, even when we fail, because we will fail, we can experience growth in ourselves, in our relationships, in our faith, in the things that matter to us. It wasn't making the team that changed Ryan's life. It's what he learned when he finally had the courage to not let the fear of failure stop him from trying to accomplish his goals. And the same is true for us if we step out of the boat. So what do you need to do this year if you knew you couldn't fail? What are you going to do? Or better yet, looking at Peter's story, what would you do this year if you knew that when you failed, 
Jesus would still be there to catch you. Let's pray. God, it's true, and we, we know this because we feel it, but um, science backs it up. We hate to fail. God, we hate to fall short. Um, we hate when we don't meet expectations, even when the expectations are unhealthy. Um, and God, because of that, we, we let that fear of failure stop us from really living a life that you want us to live. Living a life where we're not trying to serve two masters, fear and faith. And so God, I pray today, um, this week, uh, as we wrestle with this idea of what would we do if we knew we couldn't fail? Or what would we do if we knew that when we failed it, everything would be okay? God, I pray that we actually write something down. God, that we set goals, that we don't, we don't look into the year ahead and decide it's going to be too hard for things to get better, too hard for there to be growth, or too hard for us to do the things that you are asking us to do. Because God, we've seen you do great things in hard seasons, and we know that you'll do it again. So God, give us the courage, give us the strength. Um, really, God, give us the wisdom to see what you're asking us to do this year so that we actually do it. Um, and God, when we fail, which, which we will, God, I pray that all of us tangibly feel your presence and you lifting us back out of the water, putting us back in the boat. And God, you're seeing our faith grow. God, we thank you for being with us. We thank you that you don't abandon us. Uh, when we fall short, God, we thank you that you're not a bandwagon fan of us because you would have hopped off a long time ago. God, we thank you for your love. We pray these things in your name. Amen.